Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and today's episode is the second part of a four-part podcast series looking at the impact of the global coronavirus outbreak on different segments of the aviation industry. On today's episode of the podcast, we're focusing on how the virus has affected business aviation. Over the last week, I caught up with Ian Moore, who is the Chief Commercial Officer of VistaJet, one of the world's largest business jet operators to discuss how the outbreak impacted their flight operations in March. I also discussed how business jet demand for charter flights and the need for available business jets increased with Per Mathinson. He is the co-founder and executive vice president of one of the world's largest online air charter sourcing platforms, Avinode. Peter Antonenko, chief operating officer of Jetcraft, one of the world's largest aircraft dealers, also joins us to discuss how his organization has been impacted in terms of the sales of new and pre-owned business jets. So now let's get into our first discussion with Ian Moore of VistaJet. So first, can you just give our audience a little bit of background about your role with VistaJet and your day-to-day responsibilities with the organization? What does a typical day look like for you with VistaJet, and where are you based out of? Uh, Well, thanks for having me. Um, My name's Ian Moore. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer for for VistaJet. Uh, My role um, is effectively the head of the commercial and therefore revenue lines for the company. Uh, That's a good question. Um, I Well, up until this point, um, I generally spend most of my time bouncing between Europe, the US, uh, Middle East and Asia. So I'm sort of Northern Hemisphere based. Um, But lately, I've been spending more time between Europe and the US. um, And today I'm in New York. Um, and that's probably where I'll be for quite some time. Um, so that's, it's just the nature of our business. We're a, a, a global aviation provider and um, our customers don't come to us. We have to go to them. So I am spend most of my time on the road. So, um, yeah, this is quite a change. Uh, we're obviously adapting our, both our business and I'm adapting myself to being, um, being inside and uh, looking after looking after myself and my loved ones and trying to keep the company running as we, as we sort of face these interesting times. Yeah, it, it certainly is a, uh, you know, kind of unprecedented impact this coronavirus has had on the aviation industry. Uh, now, before we kind of get into the impact, could you maybe first just give us what is, you know, the typical kind of average operations look like for VistaJet if you're not in a climate like we're currently in? What is it? What would a typical month of operations look like for VistaJet if, you know, we weren't in this current situation right now? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, first of all, uh, on the VistaJet side, we have uh, 73 aircraft spread pretty evenly around the world. Um, So we are constantly connecting continents. Um, We have aircraft, about half our aircraft are ultra long range. So we do a lot of um, flying between the continents. Um, And the other half of our aircraft are sort of spread evenly to sort of look after regional flying. So a typical month for us would be uh, flying sort of global citizens, um, high, either high net worth individuals or corporations um, to both from a uh, personal or a, a, a holiday destinations and those types of things to also obviously running businesses around the world as well. So um, we are constantly connecting um, economies 
uh, we're a good, always a good little indicator of where, how the world's moving and what, what's hot and what's not, just by the fact that um, our customers are taking us to those locations, either from a uh, what's hot in the holiday world to, to what's hot in um, when it comes to things like commodities or new industries. So that was really what our month, monthly sort of flying patterns were. Um, obviously, that's sort of come to a change now um, pretty dramatically, but um, nevertheless, we are we are very much a global operator. We have a 24-7 operation um, that works in shifts all around the world. We have offices in uh, New York, in London, uh, in Dubai, uh, in Hong Kong, an operation in Malta. Um, and through the sister company with Exojet, we have an operation in uh, Fort Lauderdale as well. So very much an international company and very much like our clientele. Right. So clearly the coronavirus has had a very big impact on all segments of the global air transportation industry. Um, can you tell us how is VistaJet as an international operator coping with this? And what's just, you know, been the overall biggest impact on your operations? What, what aspect of your operations has been impacted the most? Okay. Well, I'll start with the first part of the question, which is obviously we've seen an increase in demand. Uh, for people to fly privately. Um, that started even before commercial operations started to slow down and, and to now cease flying. So people were obviously moving towards wanting to fly in a more of a private space. Um, I think that's probably relatively rational. If you could afford to do so, people are doing that. Um, and that's changed, that, that sort of increased as every day and obviously week goes by now with, um, with more and more of the airlines themselves shutting down, or at least temporary shutting down. Um, what's been the biggest challenge? So we've seen a, a far bigger increase in demand. I think the biggest challenge now is being able to operate flights, um, given our, most of our business um, is actually international from wherever you are in the world, we'd be flying uh, our customers internationally. And those flights today are far more complicated um, than they ever have been before. Um, there's so many different moving parts to a flight that most people don't see. Um, and we were considered to be quite basic moving parts that now have become incredibly complicated. Um, and it's one of the reasons why larger operators or operators with uh, levels of experience um, of, of being able to navigate um, the world in terms of, in terms of travel restrictions. Um, we've seen a flight to quality in that area because people, uh, it's a lot more complicated to go from A to B these days. Um, it's not just getting the passenger there, it's getting the crew there, it's getting the crew into rest and not getting them stuck into quarantine. It's making sure the aircraft can get out again. It's making sure that you can have a fuel stop if necessary in a location that all three parts, crew, aircraft, and client, can touch back, touch um, touch on the ground in those locations. So it's very much a challenging environment for us now. So there's a large increase in demand. There's no doubt about that. I'm sure you're reading articles about that every day. Um, but the complexity of being able to operate is uh, meaning that you need companies with scale, you need companies with experience um, to be able to navigate those areas. Otherwise, aircraft themselves, crew themselves, and clients can find themselves in areas that they can't get out of. Yeah, it's really interesting to learn about that from your perspective, too. Um, reading a lot about, you know, the in the commercial airline world, demand has gone way down. 
um, you know, a lot of a lot of airplanes getting grounded. But so you all are actually seeing a little bit of an increase in demand for flying over what you would normally see in it in like a typical uh, March period. You're seeing a little bit more demand. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, it's a different type of flying, though, to be honest. Um, right. It's it's not flying that you would see business as usual. Uh, we're doing a lot more long range flying. We're spending a lot of times getting loved ones home um, and to safe spaces, um, and so that you can tell the flying's different. Um, it's not uh, business as usual. So we're seeing a an increase in demand. Um, we're seeing a lot of first time flyers coming to the industry, um, and at the same time, what we're also seeing uh, is a we're seeing a demand shock, obviously, for people to want to now fly in a private cabin. Um, and seeing a supply shock, not just on the commercial airlines dropping out to therefore, you know, the inability to actually fly, but what we're actually finding now is a lot of the supply in the private jet market, which used to be supplemented in a big way by um, owners' aircraft being released into the marketplace. Um, we're seeing a lot more of those aircraft being pulled from the marketplace because the owners would like to keep them for themselves, um, which is fair enough. They bought the aircraft in the first place. Um, and or they do not want people they don't know um, on inside their aircraft. And, you know, these are sort of reactions that you're seeing. So we saw a obviously a supply drop as well as a demand increase. Um, however, that demand is uh, is definitely challenging because you're finding more and more restrictions coming in. So just because you have a demand from a hot zone right about now, it doesn't mean you can you can actually perform that flight for the safety of everyone involved. Um, so the definite demand in terms of requests are up, um, but being able to sift through all those requests and be able to be able to give a service that enables a customer to fulfill that um, their their request is is the challenging part of the industry right now. Yeah, it is. And so let's talk about that. I mean, what's been the response from regulators? You know, what are you when you're preparing to uh, perform one of these flights, for example, to get somebody home or return a passenger home? What kind of new regulations are you are you facing to do that flight? Uh, well, you're probably seeing them come up as every in every briefing you're seeing right about yeah. now for every government around the world. And, and it's just a matter of mainly meaning uh, most countries are leaning towards limiting who can come into the country. Um, right. And that's generally going to be from, uh, well, it's coming to the point now where a lot of people can only enter a country if they are a passport holder or a permanent resident. Hmm. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of that happening now, a lot of repatriation flights. Um, and that seems to be the restrictions that are coming into place Um all around the world now. So we are at a race uh, against the clock to get people to timelines that are set by governments. Um, you know, it's totally understandable what governments are doing now to react to that point. And so we are constantly moving our fleet um, and our crew and also therefore our customers to locations that gets them safe and home. Um, and again, one of the massive advantages that we have as a company is that we've spent a lot of years building our business to be global. So if, for example, um, Asia is starting to slightly open up now to getting people back home, um, 
we're able to take advantage of that by maneuvering our aircraft to make ourselves available for our customers there, whereas other places like Europe might be tightening restrictions right about now. So it's really challenging if you're a regional operator. Um, it always has been um, for many different reasons. You know, regional operators uh, have always had a challenge because they are obviously regional by definition and they're affected by the socioeconomic situation in that part of the world. Um, and by being a global operator, um, even when you're looking at something like the, uh, the medical emergencies we have today, being able to up your aircraft and move them to different locations to help out in the repatriation of people um, has been another service that we can provide as a company. It, you know, one of the things that a lot of uh, air carriers are, have been promoting on their website since this, you know, kind of outbreak started to spread was that they've, you know, heavily disinfecting their cabins and making sure it's treated before passengers get on. Are you starting to see more questions about that for people getting on your aircraft saying, you know, how, how has this been treated? How are you preventing the spread of the disease um, within the cabins? Yeah, it's it's interesting. We had that from day one, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think that everyone was pretty early on to realize that they wanted to make sure that our aircraft were um, being cleaned, that we were taking all the necessary steps that we needed to do um, to ensure that our aircraft was, was safe and clean and sanitized, that our crew was safe. Um, and that the entire environment was um, was a comfortable environment to get people from A to B. And so we had that request, I would say, from early, uh, probably, I'd say, third week of January. We were starting to get okay. those kind of requests coming out of places like um, like Asia, for example, where we have a office and aircraft. So we were probably well-versed in how to respond um, to client requests, um, and frankly, our crew as well. Um, you know, don't forget that our crew are, are flying around the world. So one day they may very well be in uh, in Dubai, and next minute, you know, they're in Hong Kong. Um, so we had um, constant working with our our crew um, through our COO as well, who works with them daily on what makes them feel comfortable. And if they're comfortable, then most of the time our clients will be comfortable, and we talk people through what we do. Um, and it's really important to have these measures in place. And again, one of the most important things about our business, um, which is relatively rare, is that we own all our aircraft. So we own and operate the entire fleet. And that means that we're in total control of what we do and what procedures we follow. Um, and that has been another thing that we've seen, that people really, before, believe it or not, people were a bit more blasé about you know, who owned the aircraft, what kind of money has been spent on the aircraft. It really was coming down to a lot of places. People were looking at things at a cost per hour. Um, now the cost per hour is less important. It's about whether I trust you as an operator with my, with my life um, and, you know, and my loved ones. And so by being able to reassure our customers that we have strict procedures that start with the safety of our crew, um, that sends a strong message to our customers that we're taking this very seriously. And, you know, outside of the coronavirus impact, you know, VistaJet did just publish its 2019 annual results. 
which was a very successful year for the company. Uh, can you tell us about some of the successes VistaJet had over the last year? And I uh, want to follow up on that and kind of, you know, how do we get back to normalcy after this? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, well, I, first and foremost, we had, you know, a double-digit increase in our in our memberships. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing. 2019 feels like a long, long time ago. Um, and, uh, you know, we had seen such, uh, such increases in memberships. We had sort of roughly a 20% increase in our, uh, in our memberships in, in North America alone. Um, so our program, and just to give you a bit of background about our program, it's a, uh, it's a guaranteed availability structure. We utilize our aircraft and our fleet all around the world. Um, at a at a moment's notice across the 365 days a year, so we're a, a very viable. I, I consider it to be a better version of ownership in terms of not just financially, but also reliability um, and flexibility when you look at the different aircraft cabins you can jump into. Um, so for for us as a company, um, you know, we continued in 2019 by entering or by we continued to grow in in North America. Um, and by growing all other regions as well, we even still had a you know a near enough a double digit increase in Asia, for example. Um, so we've 2019 was a successful year for us. We've continued to expand on our services. Um, we obviously uh, have focused on building our business around our customers. And again, you can do that by uh, by owning your own aircraft and uh, sorry by owning your own fleet like we do, um, and that's been an important part of what we've done. Um, but as I said, it feels sort of a long time ago, right about now, uh, 2019, and what and what that really evolved for us as a company. Um, but we were very proud of the way the business was going. Um, you know, we had, you know, strong results in uh, in flight hours were up 24%. We had uh, passengers are up 35% um, in the Middle East, for example. So we had some really strong numbers: 24% increase in memberships in the US. Um, you know, our numbers we were, we were very proud of and, and we could see ourselves, you know, really looking forward to what we thought was going to be a, a continuation of that in 2020. And now 2020 for us um, in the first 10 to 12 weeks, you know, has been very strong, but obviously the world's changed um, and we're adjusting to that right about now. But um, we're still seeing strong demand for our program. Um, people are moving towards wanting to shore up how they're going to fly when this thing hopefully um, blows over soon and uh, they want to be in a position where if they are to fly, they'll be flying privately. Yeah, and I got I got to say, you know, uh, talking to you, is it's, it's kind of like a ray of sunshine. Just been looking at negative stuff like all day online about the <laughs> about the industry, you know. Um, so but wanted to kind of close out by asking, uh, we have a lot of aviation industry professionals and uh, sort of suppliers, MROs, uh, you know, operators listening to the podcast um, from yourself, from from your kind of vantage point where we stand now. Um, moving forward, how do you how do you think you know not only the business aviation industry gets back to normal after this, but how do you get back to normal, and what do you think the new normal is? After, you know, as we kind of move through this impact of this pandemic on the industry. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, 
how do we get back to normal? I think the only way we get back to normal here, this is a medical emergency now. So, um, you know, what we really need to do um, is to find a solution or find a way to be able to deal with this with this virus. Um, I think ultimately as, as an industry, um, we need to continue to operate the safest way we can. Um, obviously, we're a very high fixed cost industry. Right. Um, so uh, keeping keeping ourselves as a, as a industry alive is probably going to be the most important thing over the next couple of months. Um, you know, if you don't fly, you have significant costs either way. Um, so being able to work with each other, finding ways together where every single supply chain of the industry is working together for the for what I believe will be a very strong return when things open up. Um, you can see that in the demand curve that we have, the requests we're having, um, people are committing to, we have a, our program is three years, for example. So you buy X amount of hours per year for three years. We have people committing to that program now. Um, they know full well that they're flying um, will be will be um, influenced by what's going on in the world over the next couple of weeks, but they want to be ready for that now. So I feel very strongly that our industry, um, if it works together and works as a cohesive unit, um, are, will come out of this come out of this situation in a very strong position. Um, I think what's happened in the world today um, will be a very deep and very strong tattoo that will take a long time for us to wash off. And I think people will remember this for quite some time. Um, so I think that will change the way travel is done. Um, whether or not that means on the demand side, whether people would like to, if they can afford it, fly privately in an enclosed cabin that they know and trust, um, or whether it's a supply side where people no longer put their aircraft in the charter market for lower prices just to get some incremental revenue, whether or not they'll just like to keep that revenue or keep that um, safety and the surety in mind to keep their aircraft with them at all times. So I think there's going to be changes. Um, I think obviously there's going to be a continued focus on making sure that every entity that's out there is, um, is financially viable. Um, I think there's probably going to be a lot more um, amalgamation of companies and, uh, and, and that makes sense, I think, as sort of bigger is better in these particular situations. So I think you might see more of this fragmented market working together um, to be able to be in a better place going forward. But I, I, have, I can only speak from my personal perspective, what I've seen through my, our own business, but also what I'm seeing through the industry is that um, the, pri the private gen industry itself um, is usually in most situations is the one that's the first to suffer and the last to recover. Um, in this situation, being it's such a systemic shock that's come so quickly, um, the private jets may be the first one to, sort of the last one to really sort of suffer and potentially the first one to come out of it. Um, I'd way prefer that to be in far more rosier circumstances, but um, the private jet industry um, is, has always been um, a leading indicator of economic problems in the past. Um, and I think in this situation, we are, we are placed um, to be of service to getting the industry economy and everything else up and running when things do open up again. And I think that's just where we need to be as a, as a, as a company ourselves, but as an industry, we need to be positive, look after each other and work out ways in which we can work together to ensure that when things do get better, we're there together. Okay.
Well, there you have it. Uh, Ian Moore is the Chief Commercial Officer of VistaJet. Thank you, Ian, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining So after getting the end-user operator perspective from Ian, we'll now transition to learning how one of the world's largest online marketplaces for sourcing air charter flights has been impacted by the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. One of the things that was interesting to learn about in this discussion was how business jet owners are holding back on allowing their aircraft to be used for charter flights and what the projected demand for air charter flights might look like in April and for the remainder of the year. We have a very special guest from Avinode on today. Uh, Per, where you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, Let them know what Avinode does and also what your role is uh, with Avinode. Well, uh, excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, my name is Per Markinson. I'm one of the original founders of Avinode. So almost getting into my 20th year. Uh, for those that don't know about Avinode, and, and people in the industry sometimes refer to us as the best kept secret, uh, we are the closest thing to a GDS, uh, a Sabre Amadeus for the private jet uh, industry. In other words, uh, the marketplace where you can find available aircraft and, and, and uh, for any given trip. And our uh, business is completely focused around uh, air shuttle brokers and air shuttle operators. Uh, so we are, have a network of close to 1,600 members across the world, representing over 3,000 aircraft that are actively available for charter. And on a regular month, there's about 450 to 600,000 charter requests being sent between brokers and operators. So we are a backbone when it comes uh, to finding and booking private jets. Right. And, and this is all handled um, sort of completely online. And do you all have an, like a mobile application as well that handles this? Yeah, so, so we are a complete tech platform. Uh, our operators provide schedule availability and where the aircraft are and how it's being priced. And then our brokers have the ability to log into the platform either through an app or, or through the desktop, put in a one-way round trip or multi-leg and, and find aircraft availability. Uh, we also have, of course, a large ba- uh, database and continuous update of empty legs. So no matter where in the world you are, uh, if you're an operator with an aircraft, you have the ability to, to, to reach the wholesale market, and which can be extremely powerful. Say that you're transiting for, for two days or, or five days in, in Sao Paulo, but normally you're based in, in Germany. You would normally not be able to sell that air charter capacity, but no one would reach out to a European operator for a Latin America, New York trip, for example. Uh, but with Avinode, uh, we are distributing the information globally in, an, in a heartbeat. And, and so it's a very uh, simple offering, but of course, there's a lot of complexity in order to make it valuable for charter brokers and charter operators out there. I see. And now, you know, we our, our previous episode of this podcast series focused specifically on the uh, commercial airline industry and how the outbreak of the COVID-19 coronavirus has impacted that segment of aviation. Um, could you tell us, based on the, you know, the, how the outbreak has spread, the restrictions it's placed on travel, how has it directly affected Avinode as a company and you know, what you just described, how you connect charters and brokers, how has it impacted your business directly? 
So, so uh, as a company, we are a tech platform. We have a subscription business uh, where, where people subscribe in order to be either marketing their aircraft or selling the shuttle capacity or, or to, to find it. And before we dig into how, how Avenue has been affected, yes, let me give you the high level uh, of, of how the industry as a whole has been affected by uh, COVID-19. Um, and it's definitely been through two cycles, if I look back the last three, uh, four weeks. Um, going back even further, yes, we did see an uptick in activity for Asia. We saw a higher than normal demand uh, of flights leaving China and going into Europe. Uh, this, of course, coincided with uh, American and European airlines uh, cutting back. Uh, and there's always a peak uh, in the Asian market during the Chinese New Year. But this year, because of COVID-19, that peak became almost twice as high and extended over several days. Once the long-range flights out of Asia started to declining. I mean, that's when we also then saw a change in activity in Europe and in the U.S. And with the travel ban uh, between the U.S. and Europe going into effect, we had a couple of days where it was all-time record for how many charter flights was being sourced in the Avner marketplace. Uh, very much driven by a long uh, transatlantic flying, uh, because we also saw a, a drastic decline in intra-European travel. Uh, and as you would foresee, there are certain areas in Europe that have seen an even higher decline than, than others. Uh, flight activity into to, uh, Italy severely down. Uh, of course, uh, flights out was for a while uh, higher. Uh, today, uh, we see that the, the March activity, which in many cases were driven by repatriating uh, citizens back to Europe or to, to uh, the U.S. have sort of started to drop off. Uh, when I talked to brokers out there, they said March was uh, twice as good for them as a normal month, but they see that April is looking to be very, very tough. The, the operators that are flying or still flying are all the ultra-long-range operators. Um, and... Uh, but whereas the domestic travel, both in the U.S. and in Europe, has really, really slowed down. Uh, what we also see is uh, people are booking charter flights less in advance nowadays. Previously, it used to be an average seven days out, where you start seeing demand uh, accelerate for, for trips. And I mean seven days out, it's from the time someone decides they want to fly, and on uh, the date of the departure of the flight. Now it's down to three, so it's a much more uh, last-minute flying that happened. So we're a subscription-based company. Uh, uh, people uh, have a subscription per tail that they market or per user. So what we have seen is, is uh, uh, in Europe, the decline of available aircraft in the charter market around 6%. And in the U.S., that number is 1.5% is, uh, currently. And a big driver behind this reduction of, of charter aircraft available in the market is that aircraft owners, because it's important to recognize that this industry, the people that own the aircraft are not the people that operate it in most cases. Right. So it's either a corporation or a rich individual who owns the aircraft. And they are currently not interested to have uh, strangers on their aircraft 
out of fear of, de- of contaminating the aircraft. They're also not interested in, in flying into areas where the aircraft and the crew might be quarantined for two weeks. So they rather say, let's take the aircraft away from the charter market and not be flying. Uh, for us, I mean, this is a period where it's very important for us to be helping our operators. So we are working on each, with each and every one of the operation brokers to make sure that they're getting the right value of the system and, 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 and adjusting our business model accordingly. So it's been a very hectic couple of weeks. Uh, and we, we do see that it will remain hectic over the next few weeks as, as everyone is adjusting to the new reality. Yeah, and, and I wonder... You know, there's a couple of interesting things you mentioned there is that you, you know, and, and the, the um, you know, we interviewed VistaJet and he had similar insight is that uh, demand for charter flights went up in March, uh, which is really interesting. But of course, everyone expects that to go down in April. But I wanted to ask you when you're seeing that demand go up um, and even now as people are going to be grounding their business jets um what you know how how does that does that kind of put a little bit of stress on you all's system to kind of scramble and find available aircraft or you know what was that period like to go through that kind of scale up in demand so so uh we we are fortunate to have everything automated in other words uh we we don't need any manual interaction on our side uh yes we did see an incredible uptake in, in charter activity over a few few days um, what, what's, uh, what we try and do then is, is make sure that we inform the operators and brokers to make sure that the data is up to, uh, up to date. Uh, we usually receive uh, scheduled feeds every 15 minutes. Uh, but, but what's unique also now is, is um, we need to educate uh, both the buyers and the sellers on the platform to provide more information. It was before you could just charter jet between A and B, and, and yes, there were complexity around it, uh, but, but now it's additional complexity, because all of a sudden the travel history of your passengers mm. will affect whether or not you as an operator can do the flight. And, 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 and those are ever-changing requirements. So, so rather than try and code these things into the system, we have been working very hard to try and inform people that if you know the travel history of the passengers going to get on the jet, please include that when you send off the inquiry to the operator so that they right there and then can take a decision if they think that this is feasible for them to do. So, so charting a private jet should be as easy as uh, booking an airline ticket. That's what the vision was when we founded Avanode. It is quite complex. And in a changing environment like COVID-19 has created, it has become even more complex. So, so for us, it's all been about listening to operators. What are they struggling? Because we had people that said, I need to turn off my aircraft. I'm getting too many requests. And, and those people are now saying, okay, what do I need to do in order to get more requests? Because the market is drying up. So, so that's how we are balancing to try it. Yeah. How do we get the right content in? And how do we get the requests that the operator wants to have for trips? And vice versa, how do we make sure that the operate, uh, brokers find the aircraft at a best for any given trip? And let I think you've probably just presented a, it, it almost seems like an opportunity here. Um, just kind of follow up. You mentioned, so the travel history of the passengers that are using each aircraft has now become a little bit of a challenge to keep track of. Do you think 
that's almost something that's going to emerge from this entire outbreak, you know, after we sort of get back to some sort of normalcy, that you'll need to have that type of requirement in your system. People want to see who was on the aircraft before. Did they have COVID-19 or some type of other disease? Um, do you think that's going to be sort of a permanent new fixture that you all need to deal with? And really, everybody in the charter flying business will have to deal with going forward. I think that there might be a requirement or an ask to be able to, as you send out a charter request, to provide more information about the passengers, just on a uh, general level. What type of clip is it? And is there anything I need to be aware of uh, before I'm quoting uh, back? Um, and especially if, if certain of these uh, requirements uh, are, are needed or information are needed to validate if, if a trip can be happening. Uh, at the same time, I mean, if, if regulations uh, soften up around between which areas or geographies you can travel, I wouldn't see that that was something that would be in, in the system on a permanent basis. Uh, people like private jet travel because of the flexibility. Uh, it's not uncommon that all of a sudden you show up with an additional passenger or call in that you need to add a passenger half an hour before the flight. Uh, that kind of flexibility isn't really possible in a world where, where there are too much regulation. So, so depending on, on what happens on the commercial uh, travel ban side, I think it will reflect on what needs to happen on, on the private jet travel side. But I hope that I think that everyone hopes that we'll get back to some sort of normal uh, where we go back to, to more similar prior to the way it was prior to COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, building on that, what, you know, from, from you all's, you know, from what you all provide to the sort of air charter business, what to you will look like getting back to normal? What will that actually feel like? Will it be, you know, okay, we're seeing a normal number of demand for trips uh, this month, and that's, you know, kind of getting back to normal for us? Or, or what will that process look like for you all? Uh, I think for, for the industry as a whole, uh, it, it's when you start feeling comfortable, uh, aircraft owners, again, making the aircraft available for charter. There are a lot of companies out there, charter operators, that rely on being able to fly the aircraft. And if they don't fly the aircraft, they don't make money. So, so for them, of course, having, again, access uh, to that capacity is, is, is important. Um, and, of course, for brokers, it's all about people, again, being comfortable and, 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 and able to do business. And uh, for us as a marketplace, of course, it's, 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 it's uh, twofold. We want to make sure that we see that the uptake in supply is available again. I mean, that the aircraft that, that left the system comes back. And then, of course, on, a, on the buying side, that we see that the brokers, again, are, are becoming more uh, operating at the, at the level prior uh, to COVID-19 and looking at it as a seasonal, um, at the seasonality of the industry. Because in Europe, it's very seasonal. Uh, peak period is usually in, in end of July and August. What is, uh, the shorter market in Europe is very leisure-driven. And, and when we queried our membership base, how they felt about the future, it was very pessimistic about the fall. 70% uh, of the brokers were very pessimistic about spring. Um, in summer, there was neutral, as many were negative as positive. And then the fall was pretty optimistic. 
uh, operators who are pessimistic right now, but becoming quite optimistic for, for summer. I'm not sure if that's hopeful thinking, because they rely very much on the, tra uh, the activity that happens in August. But, but I think they would be, be, I think everyone is hoping that we'll see sort of a more normal European summer. Uh, the peak in, in the US is, of course, Christmas period, um, or from Thanksgiving all up to spring break, um, with less uh, seasonality. But of course, everyone would like to get back to more normal level of operation and flight activity. It certainly will be interesting to see how the industry recovers. And, you know, I also have to ask, so do you think, you know, just like charter business saw an uptick in March, do you think the bit, you know, the charter section of the industry, its sort of return to normalcy will be kind of isolated, maybe not completely isolated from commercial airlines, but it will look different uh, than the way that airlines themselves get back because you just saw, you know, you saw flights for airlines just sort of nosedive immediately after these uh, travel restrictions went in, whereas you've seen an uptick for the, the charter side. Um, but do you think that, you know, will continue? It'll be kind of two, you know, sort of isolated situations. We would expect that the short industry has a faster, more aggressive growth uh, comeback than the uh, commercial airline uh, industry. Um, as, as soon as people are able to travel and comfortable, uh, they will start. Uh, we, the reason, one of the reasons why, why people, I mean, people who normally don't fly private jets, now in March got on a private jet for the first time, was uh, it was either the only alternative or they did not want to be in a cabin with a lot of other people or, and being at the crowded airport terminal. I see that you will still have that uh, effect after uh, travel bans gets listed, that there are certain people that would prefer over the next few months to continue to travel private if they have to travel. So, so we are expecting that we will have a, it, it was a quick slowdown. And we're optimistic that it will be a quick pickup once uh, people are able and comfortable to travel again. And I gotta ask before we let you go, Per, what will what will Avinode be doing in these you know sort of upcoming weeks where we're in sort of a situation where information is changing every every day almost? Uh, you know, most of the world is working from home right now. Um, what will Avinode be doing in this sort of down period that we're going to see over the next month or so? Will, will most of your organization work from home or what, what will you all kind of be doing in this period? So I'm uh, working from home. Uh, it, it's my third week uh, doing so, and uh, which we have done for the Miami and the Portland offices. And, and, and most of Gothenburg is also working from home. Um, it has been nothing but uh, 110 percent. Uh, it, it's been incredibly busy. Uh, we feel that we have an ob obligation and opportunity to keep uh, the industry informed of the trends we see. Uh, we know that a lot of companies value uh, the data and the perspective that we can can give um, on, on where we see and what's, uh, where we see the industry going, what segments are strong or less strong. Uh, so we, we do produ produce a, a BI article uh, on a weekly basis with these trends. Um, we are reaching out uh, and, and speaking uh, to all of our accounts. Uh, we have close to 1,500 of them. 
there's been a lot of inbound, but we also proactively calling uh, to see what we can do in order to to uh, work with them, wanting to hear what this is important for them, realizing what what sort of situation they are in, both financially and operational. Uh, so we have gone in and changed a lot of our cancellation terms or, or suspension terms in order to to be flexible. Uh, we've been in this industry now for for 20 years and look at yourself as a, as an important partner to our members, and and, and that's what we are focused on 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 right now. Um, at the same time, of course, we know that there is a day after COVID-19 where we all get back to some normality. And, and, and we have a long wish list of, of, of things that we need to build uh, or a pre-plan. So, so we try and, and, and while we deliver today, we are building for tomorrow. Um, but the number one objective now is, is to keep industry informed of what we see, share that part, and really be uh, as a partner for, for all our members on, uh, so that we can digest our offering based on their needs. Well, there you have it, Per Mathinson with the Avinode Group. Thank you, Per, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. In the third of our three discussions on this episode, we'll learn about how the process of buying and selling business jets has been impacted by the COVID coronavirus outbreak with online aircraft dealer Jetcraft. Uh, Peter, could you just give our audience a little bit of background about yourself and your organization, Jetcraft, and uh, your role with Jetcraft? Sure, you bet. Thank you. Uh, my name is Peter Antonenko. I'm the uh, Chief Operating Officer for Jetcraft. Uh, I have been with Jetcraft since uh, 2006, so I'm now in my 14th year with the organization. And prior to joining uh, Jetcraft, I was in private practice um, as an attorney doing um, commercial and uh, business aircraft transactions as well as uh, litigation. And um, Jetcraft was actually uh, became a client of the firm and I ended up going in, in-house for Jetcraft and have been with them ever since. And as far as uh, Jetcraft is concerned, um, we're a global aircraft uh, dealer. I've been in business for a little over 50 years and uh, have been through plenty of, of ups and downs through that time frame. Uh, currently, our, our headquarters are based out of the, the UK and London, and uh, I'm, I'm personally based out of Minneapolis as well as London, splitting time there. And we have offices uh, pretty much now on, on every continent, uh, with major offices being London, uh, the United States, and Hong Kong, and then with sales teams scattered throughout the globe. I see. So you certainly can bring a uh, interesting perspective to this conversation. Um, you know, as you probably know, we're we're doing a podcast series focusing on how the COVID nineteen coronavirus outbreak is impacting different segments of aviation. Um, and I wanted to start it out just getting general perspective from you, um, focusing on the business aviation segment. What have you seen as the overall? impact economically on the business aviation sector um, just over the last couple of weeks from this outbreak? I think one of the big things that we've been seeing is just the general uncertainty with where everything is going. And and that, that's not just related to the business aviation side. That's really in, in every single industry. And if you look at 
business aviation and where it plays, it, it really fits into a lot of different industries. If you're in the travel industry, if you're in general corporate, you're manufacturing, they all touch uh, business aviation and vice versa in a lot of different ways. So what we're seeing, and if you start looking at just from transactions, if you, if you look at how our, our trajectory has been, um, there's definitely a slowdown in the number of transactions that are occurring. Um, a lot of transactions that had been uh, papered prior to the last two or three weeks where aircraft had been in for pre-purchase inspections and had been fully contracted and down the path, uh, a lot of those transactions have closed. New transactions are starting to slow. And a lot of our customers are, because of the uncertainty, wanting to put things on pause. And I, I think for the near term, without having a crystal ball, you know, that's probably going to be the name of the game going forward as people wait for the next week, two weeks, three or four weeks to see where we go. And then we'll just have to keep reading the tea leaves as the days go on. And, you know, you mentioned a really interesting uh, aspect there. I want to follow up. You mentioned, so if you had sort of a pre-purchase agreement for an aircraft prior to, um, for, for example, this uh, travel restriction between the U.S. and Europe, um, and then, you know, these just social distancing gets put, put in, and possibly you can't even travel to, you know, pick up the aircraft that you mm -hmm. purchased. How does that work? I mean, if you if you are in progress to purchase an aircraft, is that just on pause and they're just kind of waiting to get back to normal? Well, it can, it can't be. I mean, I can give you an example of a deal that we just closed. Uh, I think it was yesterday or, or, or maybe on Tuesday. I think it was yesterday. Um, part of it has been, even with the travel restrictions, there are ways to get personnel positioned. And we were, on that particular transaction, able to position pilots where they needed to be and able to fly the aircraft out of its current location, bring it to the delivery location, you know, ship the records and logs where they needed to go and manage the process. It, it became significantly more cumbersome, but you know there are ways to go about doing it. And as far as you know, some pre-purchase inspections that are ongoing now, I think it's important to note that even though there's a lot of issues related to, to travel itself, a lot of the facilities are still open. And I mean, they may have reduced capacity, but they're still working, right? So in a lot of ways, we're, we're still able to continue to do what we do. We just have to be a little bit more creative about how we go about doing that. And, you know, as, as one of the things that, that we've been able to do over the years at JetCraft, as we've developed the organization, is to develop relationships on, on all the different continents locally. And part of that also includes getting to know some of the different the different operators, the different MROs, um, the different registries and how they operate. And as, as we can leverage some of those relationships, you know, you can, like I said, you can cobble together a way to, to still progress the transaction, particularly where you have a buyer that, that would like to have the aircraft and they want to get it on their books and, and, you know, be ready to use it more efficiently when the time comes. But it does create a lot of logistical issues. Yeah, and you know another kind of aspect of that is, um, you know, considering the one of the main roles that that Jetcraft provides is is as an aircraft dealer. Um, considering that this outbreak has has now been so widespread across the globe, 
one one of the things on the commercial airline side that's been interesting to notice is a lot of airlines are now rolling out videos about how they disinfect their aircraft and how it's safe to mm -hmm. travel within the cabin. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing any type of questions like that on your side? And, you know, people who are, if you are buying an aircraft right now, is that a question that you're starting to get that, you know, perhaps you weren't seeing before this? Yeah, it's it's starting to become much much more of an issue, and and I think um, I think on the, the the commercial podcast that you had, one of the gentlemen that was on there mentioned that this could be a way forward for commercial airlines to be doing a better job sanitizing the aircraft, right? And you know, I think there's definitely a possibility that you're going to see that in the bizjet side as well. I mean, if you're a heavy charter operator, I mean, it's something that you would certainly want to have in order to give passengers a little bit more comfort level and they have machines that are able to, to do it on a fairly efficient basis uh, I think on a fogging basis or something like that and we're seeing that you know some of the MROs that are out there that are doing work as everybody becomes very sensitive to the COVID-19 pandemic and how to manage their daily lives and that includes how they're going to go through cleaning the aircraft and servicing those aircraft you know if somebody as an example, some, some customers are taking advantage of getting their aircraft serviced and doing maintenance on them now, right? While they're not able to, right. to operate them as well, to take advantage of the downtime. A lot of the MROs you're seeing are actually referencing how they're going about doing those cleanings and, and making sure that the aircraft are, are being disinfected properly and so forth. So it's, it's interesting to see how these things start to, um, you know, for all the bad and the negativity that comes out of them, there is a lot of positivity and new innovations that, that start to flow out of them. And what about at the sort of regulatory level? Um, I mean, I know on the, you know, of course, on the commercial airline side, the biggest regulatory challenge has been just the travel restrictions itself. Um, but what about you and within the kind of business aviation side and the segment that you play within? Have you seen any new regulations arise or are you expecting any that just, you know, affect aircraft uh, transactions? Um, not so much as far as, you know, other than the broad brush, some of the travel restrictions that you have. I, I think some of the more challenging things that we're seeing, if, if you were, for example, to close a, a transaction now, if you were trying to get a transaction closed, whether it's in the United States or whether it's in the Isle of Man or Great Britain or wherever it may be, you know, how you go about getting that process completed is, is going through some changes. And, you know, using the FAA as an example, they, they, they started talking about needing to have um, any documents that were submitted to them be quarantined for 72 hours. And then, wow. then they lifted that and now they're not having to do that. I mean, one of the things that I think is going to be helpful and that has been something that a lot of people from a transactional perspective have been looking for for a long time is better automation with the FAA and being able to file electronic documents. I mean, this is, this is one of those instances where by default, you're almost being forced to do that because of the pandemic and some of the concerns surrounding um, you know, protections of the individuals, which is critical. So it'll be interesting to see how some of this translates through into how we actually transact on a global basis and as well as and continue to operate um, the aircraft as as new regulations start to flow out right 
And so I wanted to ask you also about this. We, we actually, uh, last week, um, as part of the series, we talked to the chief operating officer of VistaJet. Uh, it was interesting to learn mm -hmm. from him that they actually saw a pickup in demand for flights in March, uh, basically on, on one of the things you just mentioned is kind of repositioning personnel, trying to get uh, people back to their home countries that were abroad when some of these restrictions mm -hmm. were in place. Um, but I wanted to, and I asked him about April, but he, you know, they do expect April to sort of decline. I wanted to get your perspective on that from, from what Jetcraft provides. Have you seen, did you see kind of a similar trend in March? And do you expect April's demand for transactions to decline? Yeah, and I, I think if you look at the, the the charter fractional market, you know it's it's interesting in that they would you would think that they would have that increase as the the airlines are starting to shut down. You've got all the travel restrictions. Um, security becomes personal safety becomes much more of an issue. I mean that's that's definitely something that is a can be a huge advantage for business aviation going forward. You know, frankly, there there could be a lot of people that may just become disenfranchised entirely with commercial aviation and want to have their own aircraft to move their personnel around from a safety perspective um, rather than putting them on an aircraft. Now, that being said, looking at from a velocity perspective on the transactions, looking into April, I, I think if you said anything else um, other than, yeah, we're going to see a significant slowdown as people sit and wait to see how this plays out, I think it would be disingenuous. You know, really, we got to keep, as I said earlier, we got to keep reading the tea leaves to see where we go over the next few weeks, how long we're going to have to do the social distancing, you know, how well the, the pandemic can be put uh, under control, and then see how people start to rebound wanting to get back into transactions. You know, a number of our customers have said, look, I'm, I'm not done. Um, I still want the aircraft that they were looking at or the model or type, but they just need to sit and they want to see where it plays out, which in a lot of ways is you can't fault them for it. It's a prudent place to go. Um, I think if you start looking at, you know, from a pricing perspective, um, there's going to be some people that are going to feel that there's an opportunity to get um, distressed aircraft or to get significant discounts on aircraft. Um, you know, whether that happens or not remains to be seen. We're not really seeing a drastic drop in pricing at this stage. Is there some, a little bit, but you know, it's, it's not, it's a much different situation from 2008 where you had overinflated pricing on the aircraft. And now, you know, you all of a sudden have a financial crisis and the pricing falls through the floor here. The scenario is a bit different because in a lot of ways, the, the market had corrected itself. Um, and I don't know if you've had an opportunity. We've had a market forecast that we've been doing for a number of years. And part of it looked at a little bit of the trajectory that we're going to have going forward on the pre-owned market. And it, it looks hindsight on how the OEMs have reorganized their order books. They've right-sized their production. You know, it's made a huge difference in the, in the pricing in the market. And now, in comparison to 2008, you know, you're at a point where you've got fairly consistent pricing. You've got a good um, match to supply and demand, and it's a pretty efficient market. But that doesn't mean that you're it doesn't lend itself to having a huge decrease in pricing. Now, is that going to happen? I, I, I don't know. Right. We got to keep looking at it 
and do what we can to stay with boots on the ground across the globe to try and drum up as much information as we possibly can. One of the, one of the key things that, that we pride ourselves on, again, is, is having the ability to have people all over the world in the different parts of the, of the globe that can give real-time uh, information on their market, right? And that's part of what we're going to continue to do and focus on over the coming weeks and months to make sure that we're getting as much information as best as we can to give that information to our customers and help them manage pricing on their aircraft, whether or not to sell, what the economy is looking like, and how we, how we feel like it should progress forward with their particular aviation needs. Yeah, there certainly is a lot of uncertainty right now, and it'll be interesting to see how the industry eventually gets back to some sense of normalcy. Uh, before we let you go, Peter, I do have to ask, how, how is the outbreak impacting JetCraft itself on an, or, you know, kind of a working level? Are, are you, most of your organization working from home? Are, are some of you still having to, um, you know, go out to aircraft and deal with transactions? Or how, how does that look right now for JetCraft? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And, you know, given the fact that JetCraft is spread out as much as we are, I mean, we have, we have a few hubs, as I mentioned, that where we, you know, have between eight to 10 or 12 people working in the office, London being one, Minneapolis being one, Raleigh being another, Hong Kong. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of already gotten used to working remotely in a lot of ways. Um, the, the ability to, Look, we have we have phones that have Telegram, WhatsApp, right. uh, Zoom. You know, we've got so <laughs> many technologies that we can use to be in touch with one another. That, from an efficiency perspective, it's been you know there there really hasn't been a huge impact. Other than you know, again, part of the business aviation mantra is to get people in front of each other, and I'm a big believer in getting in front of people. I, I think it's it's very important to be able to to sit in front of somebody and read their body language and, and really just have the conversation while you're sitting there. But absent that, um, as far as JetCraft is concerned, we've still been able to do things fairly efficiently. We have a meeting coming up with our board of directors. We're going to be doing that via video call where we had previously planned on being in person. So all of those things from an operational perspective hasn't had a huge impact. I mean, there's, there's obviously the downside of not being able to be with one another and have the discussions face to face, but we can still transact and do the things that we need to do and have the conversations we need to have. As far as getting to the aircraft, you know, a lot of that is, you know, we're relying a little bit more on some of the facilities that, that we have aircraft with. You know, we have currently have a number of owned inventory aircraft that we need to maintain that aren't going to be flying. Um, we're going to do what we can to try and get some of our personnel out to those aircraft. Um, if we can, uh, but given some of the relationships we have, we're able to feel a little bit more comfortable being able to lever that and know that the aircraft's getting taken care of. But, um, you know, it's, it's challenging. Again, it, it's, it's hard not to be able to, to launch. I, I travel quite a bit. A, a lot of our staff travels quite a bit and being at home with your family 24 seven, is a drastic change on how you conduct your business on a day-to-day -day basis. But uh, at the same flip of the coin, there are some pros and cons to it. It does give you a, a little bit of a respite from the travel, which maybe some of us needed. And, um, you know, but I will tell you, we're all going to be a little bit ready to get back on the road. Yeah. 
<laughs> for better or worse. Um, but, but as a whole, I think we've been, I think we're fortunate to be in a time where we have enough technology that we can do a lot of things that, you know, 10, even six, seven years ago, you just, you just wouldn't have been able to do it. So right. we're, we're still pretty efficient. We're able to do the things that we need to do. We're staying in touch with customers. We're able to give them as much information as we're getting and, uh, able to conduct business as best as we can. And we're going to continue to keep our ear to the ground and, and see where things go as it, as it ekes forward week by week. Certainly an interesting time. Uh, yeah, well, there you have it. He is the Chief Operating Officer for Jetcraft. Peter, thanks for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. We'll be releasing two more episodes looking at the impact of the coronavirus outbreak on the industry in the coming weeks. Next week's episode, which will focus on solutions providers, and our final episode will focus on connectivity professionals and how they've been impacted by the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. So tune in next week for another look at the global aviation landscape. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for listening.